Joined now by our friend Bruce McCurdy from the Cult of Hockey at the Edmonton Journal. Bruce, you remember the Omni, right? Uh, well, I never actually got there, but yes, uh, I may even seen a game from there. I think Toronto played Atlanta in the first round one year, and they had a road game on <clears throat> back when they had the best of threes. You know? Yes. Oh, yeah, I remember uh, that. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. You don't I don't sneeze. You, though. I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have. I don't think got an Omni on the first grass maybe you looked it up <laughs> well, no I, sure. I i'm reading the uh, uh the hockey news archive and i'm on 1973 ah, yes. now so it's all oh, fresh. Right there. <laughs> yeah the flames crushed the islanders coming out of the expansion gate eh? it yeah. took the islanders a couple of years and then whoosh well they got the islanders were losing but they got dennis potvin and clark yeah, gillies and brian trache and that was all she wrote mm-hmm. um bruce first of all congratulations on your article about the oilers in january um, mm. In looking at that month, it's funny because every line, every statistic is like worth bolding and putting seven exclamation points in it. That was that. I think I can't remember what you said. Like they're not this good, or they're not going to do this again. And wow. the, it really was a, a, an impossible month, and it came at the right time. It's something special for Oilers fans. Yeah. Well, first, congratulations to you on your article about the Oilers in January. Yeah, very nicely. Uh, time that we independently chose the same topic on the last day of a perfect january it was great Very i love unusual it. just the third team in nhl history to uh uh go unbeaten and untied or unloser pointed uh in uh entire uh month and not surprisingly all three of those teams came in the Bettman point era where ties no longer happen somebody wins every game and the orders came out on the right end of a few coin flips i would say last month but um, uh, pretty hard to argue with 22 points out of 11 games. Bruce, you are, are my historian, so I will ask you this, and, and I know you'll give me a good answer. I, I, in real time, I would get outraged at the NHL for changing rules all the time. Uh, you know, there was nothing wrong with a tie. If you're going to go to extra points and whatever, give three points for a win. It's yes. It's been discombobulated and mussed up so badly. Mm-hmm. So when I – somebody asked me the other day, what does this streak remind you of or is it more impressive than? And I said, well, what I remember is the 35-5 and five Philadelphia Flyers uh, in 79-80. Yeah. But I have no way in my mind, maybe you do, of of comparing and contrasting because they are the way points were given out and you just said it with the Bettman point and everybody has to win. It is so difficult to, to sort of parse it and come up with some reasonable explanation about why one record would be more important than another. Yeah, the Flyers, I think there were 25-0 and 10 in their 35-game unbeaten run in 1979-80, Pat Quinn, head coach. And so, of course, there was no overtime at all in those days. So ties were ties. There was no losses in overtime, which originally meant zero points for the loser. And there was none of this modern stuff of every game has a winner. And some of them, you know, some games have a win and a tie and no loss. You know, anyways, it's it's all discombobulated now to, uh, to logic and mathematical reason, to be honest with you. Still, of the other two teams that uh, uh, went undefeated for an entire month, uh, they won one or two games each in the shootout. And the Oilers in January didn't even need a shootout. They won a couple in overtime, but they won all the games that they won playing real hockey. So in that limited sense, they actually are uh, established at first. 
anyways, they uh, they were rolling along, eh? And and first in uh, penalty kill, first in power play, first in goals against average, first in save percentage, and uh, they uh, they were uh, uh, doing it a very unorderly way. Uh, defense first. I recall one time I looked up the Oilers' history, and I think there was two, maybe three, it's been a while, but a, a very tiny number of years where the Oilers ranked better in goals against than in goals for out of like 44 years that they've been a team now. And a couple of years the same, and otherwise they've always been sort of an offense-driven team. And I mean, last year, first in goals for, 17th in goals against. Yeah. And yet here we are where they've had now a, a 16 game run where they allow just 24 goals and just 14 and 11 games in January. It's just so against the norm for this franchise. And they're not even particularly scoring at high levels. They were, they are ninth uh, in goals four per game in January, but first with a bullet and goals against. There's only two teams in the league, Winnipeg and Buffalo, within one goal against per game of the orders, 1.27 goals against per game in January. So it's it's just been a really sort of out-of-body experience for the franchise. And that brings me to the trade deadline, and, and we want to take advantage of your many years of watching uh, hockey and deadlines and getting ready for the playoffs and, you know, the the... Habs making a trade for Frank Mahovlich and ruining my life. And I, I, (laughs) so I, I look at this team and I like you like to follow along at home. I I think that's the great sport of hockey for fans is that you get to, you know, argue whether a move should be made or if it's made, then should it have been made? But I, I look at Calvin Pickard. I look at Dylan Holloway. Corey Perry just got started. Uh, A lot of people want Cody Cece replaced. And apparently. I, I, like, I'm looking at this and I'm like, I'm not saying Ken Holland will do nothing. We know he'll add a number seven defenseman at the very least. But you sort of have to see this, like, Pickard has to play it out, right? Like, you got to play him to the deadline, play him, you know, six times or whatever it is. Because I think these players have earned the right to show you what they are because they have played well for this team while they've been successful. Absolutely. And there's no pressure on um, uh, the GM, whoever it is that's pulling the, the, the trigger, let's say Ken Holland. Uh, in fact, there's kind of a counter pressure on him not to make any moves until as close to the deadline as possible. Because in the interim, he's accruing cap space to take on a larger salary. And of course, the minute he takes on that larging, larger salary, that equation starts working in the opposite direction. So there's no rush to make a move on February 2nd that they could make on March 2nd. Uh, and in fact, quite the, quite the contrary. So they have that month. And fortunately, despite the absolutely terrifying start to the season, they're not only back in the playoff race, but they're very comfortably ensconced above the playoff cut line where they've reached the point where, you know, they're no longer playing must-win games every night. Obviously, you want to win every night. But they're in a position where they can cruise for a while and stay in good position. And all the while establish, A, where the biggest need is and, you know, work the market. But you really don't want to pull the trigger till I would say, within a week of the trade deadline. Yeah, it's – it's. Um, I, I 
like I've mulled this over and I, you know, I'd love to have Lindholm. I just don't know if they can get him. And I, I think the, the need to get a right-handed defense. Let's talk CC because I, mm-hmm. uh, like, I know Nurse CC are, are, um, the results are not what, what Bouchard Ekholm are, although th- that, that group plays as part of a five man group with the McDavid line. But yeah. I, I, like, I, and, and I don't know how to describe it to people, but I, I, I think sometimes, not just Oilers fans, but all fans, they become fixated on one thing, and and I think that there has to be, if you're the management of the Oilers, you have to you have to put the equation in front of you and make it reasonable for what you're seeing. And Nurse Cece, I don't think is tragic, and so and they're also here, and Cece's contract for a second pairing right defenseman is a good one. I I feel like there's a there's an urgency there where maybe that's not as as um provocative or as 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 um um uh dead deadly to the team's chances of winning a Stanley Cup as people think. Is that fair? Uh yeah, I think it's fair. You know, I wish I had a loony for every time I've seen or heard the two words CC and upgrade in the same sentence in the last couple of weeks. I would be a rich man retiring to my own <laughs> tropical island, I think. Because it just seems to be the same verbal, very same word, upgrade CC, upgrade CC. And I understand it, and I understand that his uh, and nurses, uh, uh, you know, expected goals for percentage and so on, five on five is considerably lower than Ekholm Bouchard, who, as you say, A, they're an outstanding defense pair, and you're not just going to go out and get a second pair just like them because it doesn't usually work that way. But also, uh, the uh, Nurse CC pair are playing more with Evander Kane than they are with uh, um, uh, with uh, Nugent Hopkins and, and Hyman. And you know, it's just a, it's a different dynamic when they're out there. Uh, the other thing about the uh, uh, about the analytics, they all seem to be at five on five. And here's an Oilers team that's given up one power play goal against in an mm-hmm. entire month. Yeah, penalty kills are awesome, and CC's a big part of that. But you know, we got to upgrade CC, and <laughs> I mean, they can, and I mean, it's possible that they you know, they could work out some kind of a deal to bring in a different two right defenseman and improve the team. I just say you've got to tread carefully when you're doing that and recognize entirely entirely what it is that uh, that you're moving away from before you do that. Bruce McCurdy, our guest, called to at the Edmonton Journal on Sports 1440. As I mentioned earlier, Bruce, I like to play along at home, and I do think I'm about to give Ken Holland credit, so you might want to hang up. Uh, oh, I, I'm okay with that. Because if you endorse what I'm, I'm saying... <laughs> but I think you look at the six defensemen. They've been healthy. They've been playing well. But if he acquires a legit NHL veteran defenseman, which he can at, at reasonable cost... That for number seven, and then they have Broberg as number eight. We know Bruce that oftentimes in the playoffs it's a marathon, not a sprint, and you're going to use way more than six, maybe as many as eight defensemen. I think it lines up pretty well for Holland. I think the 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 bet here coming into view looks like it's a pretty good one on defense. Fair. Yeah. Well, my bet is that Ken Holland will trade for a defenseman. Yeah. And uh, so far, I've been right four out of four years since he got to Edmonton. In fact, his first trade was Mike Green, Dmitry Kulikov, uh, Brett Kulak, and of course, Matthias Ekholm last year. Each year, that was the first guy that he brought in. 
was uh, was a defender last year. He had to sort of clear the salary decks by moving out Pugliarvi a couple of days before. But uh, that's you know that's been his mo. And typically that guy has been sort of tagged in as a, a second pairing level defenseman. This year, as things stand right now, uh, I'm not sure that's what they need. I mean, if you can upgrade CC, you're probably going to be moving out CC in the process because otherwise your your cap dollars aren't going to work real well. Uh, but there is a there is a gap at number seven. I mean, we've had Ben Gleason there and Philip Kemp and uh, a couple of guys that really haven't even had to play, and it's maybe just as well because they don't have any NHL experience. And I'm pretty sure Ken Holland does not like a scenario where his seventh D is not very experienced. Yeah. And, you know, Broberg is a nice option to have. And frankly, if someone gets hurt in the top six, I would expect to see Broberg in there over the guys that have been sitting in the press box. But you still will probably want a little bit more depth than that. So I would be shocked if Holland didn't add at that position somewhere on the depth chart. It's uh, it's going to be a fun deadline for the Edmonton Oilers. I, I don't expect a Matthias Ekholm addition, uh, but if they do something, a loud noise, it, it's likely to be a forward. You'd like to see maybe a right-handed center or a second-line right winger. Lots of suggestions from uh, to Foley, to uh, Tarasenko, to, to Lindholm, to Henrique and Monaghan. Uh, anybody in that group or otherwise that catches your eye, Bruce, maybe as the prime target? Well, Lindholm has the advantage that you could use him in either of those positions, right? Mm-hmm. Where he could he could play two right wing or three C, depending on uh, which uh, which you specifically needed uh, in the moment. And the Oilers do have uh, players like that. I mean, Ryan McLeod, he, for instance, he's moved from 3C up to 2 left wing. And they've done it in the past with guys like Ryan Strom. Uh, it would be uh, ideal to have a, you know, another right shot forward who can, who can take face-offs and hopefully kill penalties as well. And so I suspect that will be a, uh, uh, a target. Um, whether they could pull a Lindholm out of Calgary and make the money work and you know, not have to trade the next 10 first-round picks to make it happen, uh, I kind of have my doubts. But uh, there are good players out there, and somewhere there's a guy on an expiring contract maybe that they can get on a rental uh, who can check those boxes. Final question for you, Bruce. I know that um, I think Ken Holland kind of gets gets uh, um, criticized when, when maybe that's not fair because he did sign Ryan Fanti, who got hurt. Uh, he did sign Noah Philp, who was was uh, retired retired after a very promising AHL rookie season. Um, certainly, DeHarnay and and uh, James Hamlin have worked out, but I think with all the trades of draft picks and young players, it is very important that the Edmonton Oilers get back in the game of undrafted free agents and signing them. Mm-hmm. For you, you know, you you at the Cult of Hockey, you do prospect lists every year. How dire is it, how important is it that the Oilers start restocking, even if they don't have picks, uh, restocking the shelves? Uh, very important. Uh, I know a Philp was a beauty uh, signing. That uh, is very sad how that worked out, and I've still retained some hope that he may unretire for next season, but it's uh, it's hardly a given. Uh, a red-letter day in the Ken Holland uh era was uh, March 2nd of 2022 when they signed both Vincent DeHarnay and James Hamblin 
their NHL contracts after first giving them a you know multi-year tryout on AHL deals only. And when they passed the test, they were actually saying, hey, yeah, we see NHL futures for you guys. Here's a two-year deal. And both guys wound up playing, you know, significant amounts in the NHL. And DeHarnay is still here. And, I mean, now one of Holland's biggest headaches is how does he keep him around for future years? Because uh, he's on a, you know, below NHL minimum contract uh, that's expiring and he's UFA. So that's going to be, a, you know, a problem to solve uh, this summer. Uh, but there, the point being that there are useful players that can be found this in this manner, and the Oilers have found a couple of them. And uh, ideally, they'll find one or two more because, uh, you know, they didn't need to spend a draft pick on James Hamblin. And that's a good thing because they didn't have enough draft picks to, you know, to fully stock the shelves. So that brings me to my final, final question, Bruce. Okay. Uh, which is that they've got a – I've seen him play – and they, he's not playing much, if at all, because they they cannot find room for these other young wingers. But they've got a big guy, 25 years old, Cameron Wright down there, uh, who's played 18 games, has six goals and 11 points. And he looks, I, I don't know if he's an NHL player, but he looks like an AHL player, and maybe yeah. he'll develop. But he's 25. Is mm-hmm. is In your opinion, is it too, I, I know we're just seeing Hamlin and Darren DeHarnay, who was an older player, signed. Mm-hmm. Is there a line in the sand? Is 25 too old to bring a guy in and sign him to an NHL deal, in your opinion? Or do you think he's still, even though he's a developed player, he might be able to help? Well, the question is, is he developed or is he developing still? Is he still improving, getting better? I like what I've seen of him uh, for the most part, other than the the one game where he took a goalie interference penalty with two minutes left in a tie game. Uh, That hurt. But uh, otherwise, uh, you know, I, I like his, you know, his size and his sort of general approach about stirring things up. I mean, Vincent DeHarnay, uh, how old was he when he signed his deal? It's 26, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. And, yep. Yeah, and here he is as sort of a, you know, a fully established NHL caliber player. So I'm not sure there's any specific age limit, but obviously it's diminishing returns, and DeHarnay would be very much the exception to the general rule. Generally, you'd like to get him at, you know, young 20s and uh, uh, and, and work from there. So yeah. they, well, but they got, they got to explore that market because they're short of draft picks, and I have a feeling that when the trade deadline is done, they're going to be shorter than they are right now. And I mean, this guy's Declan's age, so he's almost done. Like you know, I mean, well, that's... yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's that's pushing the limit for sure. Totally, Bruce McCurdy, Cult of Hockey at the end of the Journal. Thank you, sir.